Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are a people bound together by your grace. That grace which invites the whole world into a relationship with Jesus. That grace that saves those who choose to follow. And that grace that perfects us in love. That helps us to grow to be more and more like Jesus. May that grace be on us now in this conversation. That as we seriously consider Holy Scripture, we might find ourselves actively listening and critically thinking so that we can grow in our capacity to radically love as we've been loved. These things I ask and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, welcome back to the series finale of the American Church. The American Church, quick reminder, is any congregation or faith tradition of people in the United States of America who profess Jesus Christ as Lord, even if we don't agree on some of the other things. Among our family are, of course, United Methodists, Wesleyans, Roman Catholics, Lutherans, Presbyterians, all the varieties of Baptists, and even a Pentecostal or two. They're all part of this one American church that believes in Jesus Christ. Just a final reminder for the final sermon. This series is not about my political party or affiliation, right? I'm neither red nor blue. I'm wonderfully... Thank you. You listen. I am wonderfully purple. What this series is about is the only commandment Jesus ever gave his followers. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This series also addresses what I believe is the current problem facing the American church. The problem is, in the words of Revelation 2-4, you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. You see, I believe the American church has committed adultery against God with, among other things, our political parties. We've not simply befriended political parties or candidates. We've put our trust in them as though they are God. We have forgotten our first love, Jesus Christ. Now, the American church is not the first church to forsake their first love. The words on the screen from Revelation 2-4 were written to the Ephesian church. The solution to the problem that faced the Ephesian church way back when? Why, that's the solution for our problem today. The solution is this. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and will remove your lampstand from its place. To repent, to repent means to turn around from our present course and head back towards Jesus. And I think in many ways, the American church has behaved childishly. And it's time for us to grow up. Which is why the title of today's sermon is Maturity. By the way, the irony is not lost on me that I'm preaching a sermon on Maturity. The heart of growing up is the same heart that said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And friends, that's what we call a humble heart. As C.S. Lewis reminds us, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. 
Just as Jesus left his Father's throne above to come and to dwell among us for the sake of the world's salvation, so too are we called to humble ourselves enough to consider how others might know Jesus' love through us. In our rugged, individualistic, American worldview, where personal freedom has become more about loving oneself than loving one's neighbor, we, the American church, must reclaim the power of story, of our story and Jesus' story, and of the intersection of the two. And that's where we left off in our third sermon, with the power of story. Because everyone has a story, and everyone's story is a part of the whole. Hear that again. Everyone has a story, and everyone's story is a part of the whole. And I hope that this next video might illustrate the point. Story is powerful. And every person has a life story that intersects with other people's stories. And most people often have no idea how our lives are impacting others, including and especially Christians. If we are to reach maturity in Jesus, both as individuals and as the American church, we must each remember that in your story, in your story, you're the main character. But to someone else, you are the supporting cast in their immediate orbit. You're the acquaintance drifting in and out of contact. You're the random passerby. You're the extra 
sipping coffee in the background. You're the blur of traffic on the highway. Yet through Jesus Christ, we are called to be the lighted window at dusk. The American church has the light of Jesus to share with our nation. The true story of God's great love. Sadly, though, this story is not being heard because the American church and American Christians are more interested in making noise like a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal rather than loving others the way Jesus has loved us. The Apostle Paul reminds the church at Ephesus that the goal of our faith is to become mature. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity and faith and in the knowledge and love of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now the word mature in the Greek is teleos. It means finished. That which has reached its end. That which is complete, full, wanting in nothing. In other words, Christians are called to grow in our capacity to love both individually and as a body until we can grow no more and then eventually Jesus comes. So, how? How can the American church become a mature church? Now, if you know anything about preaching and you've been around this world for a while, then you know what I'm getting ready to do next is give you the three points of the sermon, which I don't always do. But today I do. How can the American church become a mature church? Number one, maturity can happen if we appreciate the invitation. If we appreciate the invitation. Number two, maturity can happen if we apply the bond of peace. Number three, maturity can happen if we remember the basics of being one. Especially when dealing with other Christian family systems. So let's consider point number one. Maturity can happen if we appreciate the invitation. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received, Paul writes. The calling here means an invitation to a banquet. Jesus has called you to a banquet. He's called us to the kingdom. With all of the rewards and privileges with, that come with that. Not privileges that exclude, but privileges that invite. God is extending His invitation for a Thanksgiving meal. A meal that never ends. But our American siblings are never going to hear God's invitation if the American church is fighting. Especially over things like politics and the pandemic. Paul says, if you want to live your best life, live like you appreciate the invitation you've already accepted. Remember, though, it's not our table, it's God's table. So when we accept God's invitation, His table doesn't suddenly become our table so we can exclude those we don't like. Oh, I don't like those people. They don't belong here. They should go to that church down the street. Or I don't like those people. They don't look like they've ever been to church. We don't want them here. Or I don't like the way they are dressed. Look at that. Or can you believe that pastor is wearing vans instead of hard dress shoes up there? We have received a calling. 
for which the appropriate response is to live in a state of gratitude, thankfulness. We can mature if we appreciate the invitation that we have received through Jesus Christ. Next, Paul writes that maturity can happen if we apply the bond of peace, the bond of peace. Be completely humble and gentle, Paul writes. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. Now, I'm really going to unpack this one a little bit, so hang tight. Friends, number one, first and foremost, the bond of peace, the bond of peace is what Jesus Christ did on the cross once and for all. But see, God in His amazing grace multiplies what Jesus did to every generation through the power of the Holy Spirit and the willingness of His people to take that out into the world. Now, if Jesus can do this for the cosmos, and those that came before us could do that for us, then we can endure difficulties with loving one another, can't we? And let's be honest, loving one another is difficult. In fact, I often have the hardest time loving graciously my own family. It's much easier for me to love a stranger than for those that live with me. And sometimes I think that happens for us as well. We can make every effort to stay bound together, which quite frankly can really, really hurt. And I love this word bond. I'm going to unpack that a little bit. Now, you all may not know this about me, but in February of 2017, the VA rebuilt my left ankle. You see, Navy medicine decided that my Marine Corps service was no longer needed back in 1996 because of repeat injuries. And so I was sent home as a disabled vet at the age of 20. They failed to properly address one of my injuries, namely that the bottom of my fibula in my left leg was broken off and floating around in my ankle mortise. You can see it. It only took 21 years for the federal government to fix it. And only after I kept falling repeatedly. Hard to believe that, isn't it? I mean, our government's just so functioning healthily all the time. The bone was reattached, and then an internal ankle brace was built inside my left ankle to strengthen the ligaments and the tendons so that the ankle wouldn't buckle and I wouldn't randomly fall when I turned. Was it painful before my surgery? Yes. Was it painful after my surgery? Yes. Do I continue to be in pain? Yes. Do I get up early every morning so that my body can be warm enough to walk like a normal person? Yes. Are stairs difficult? Yes. Is it better that my ankle be surgically bound together rather than walking around never knowing if I'm going to fall? Yes, it's worth it. See, both options are painful, so I chose my pain. And for the American church to maintain the bond of peace that Jesus has given us, it's going to be painful. But will it not be more painful if we fall? 
So let's choose our pain, American church. Because if we do not work at maintaining the bond of peace, the American church is going to buckle. And if that happens, our nation's going to fall. Not because we are a Christian nation, but because the Christians in our nation will have chosen hating each other over the things that divide us instead of loving one another and modeling that love through unity and diversity. We can do this. We can mature. We can mature if we appreciate the invitation and we apply the bond of peace. Lastly, Paul reminds us that maturity can happen if we remember the basics of being one. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called. That's you plural. Just as y'all were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Listen, when you gather with your families, or maybe your extended family, you gather for a meal. Maybe it's a summer barbecue. Maybe it's Thanksgiving. Do you focus on the things that divide you or unite you? Are there some topics that are just not up for discussion? Because if you do, World War III is going to break out. I don't recall a time growing up, and I have a large extended family. My mamaw had five boys. They all went, and they made children, and then they made children, and they made children. This tiny little three-bedroom house on Gravelly Road in northern Southern Sullivan County, Tennessee. We'd all get together somehow. I never graduated to the adult table. You know, I always had to sit with my cousins um, somewhere else in the house with a TV tray. I couldn't sit at the adult table. Not even, not even when, I, when I had left to come to Pennsylvania. I still didn't graduate to the adult table. But that's okay. See, I don't recall the time growing up where the Bennett family gathered and did anything else other than share stories, pray, eat, and laugh. And those shared stories, just like the American church's shared story of Jesus, that's the basics of being one. Our story. Maturity can happen for the American church if we appreciate Jesus' invitation, if we apply His bond of peace, and if we will just share in the old, old story of Jesus and His love that's made new in our lives today. Why? Because God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love. Like Christ and everything, we we take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God and robust in love. I've said it every week, I'll say it one more time. Our nation doesn't need a church that looks like our nation. Our nation needs a church that looks like Jesus. A mature church. A church united in our diversity. 
A church that's loving each other and all of our American neighbors just like Jesus loves us. A church that's striving towards becoming perfect in love. Friends, now is our time. This is our watch. And the responsibility of keeping the light burning for Jesus in the American church, that's on us. We can do this. But only by the grace of God and our willingness to do it together. That's God's word. Seriously considered this day for Calvary Church and with all the heavy ears to hear. All thanks and praise be to the living God who is with us no matter what's going on, no matter where we are. Let us pray.